We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Good morning, everybody. We had a number of um, men go out yesterday to campus, and uh, we don't have time to share testimony this morning because we're going to give the uh, teaching time to uh, Brother Jansen. However, I'm wondering if any of them will be here tonight and could give testimony about what they experienced yesterday. Yes, sir. Ah, you wanted to share a little bit this morning. Okay, all right, that's fine. We will have time. So uh, Jansen is uh, using some of his teaching time for that. So fair enough. Maybe we'll still have a testimony this evening. All right, well, hold, hold, hold one story back or something, huh? <laughs> okay. All right, Brother Jansen, come and share with us here. Good morning. As Pastor alluded to yesterday, a few of the men had an opportunity to go to uh, the University of Michigan campus, and we were out on the diag there, and uh, we handed out some tracks and engaged in some conversation. And so I asked uh, Brother Drew if he would share a little bit. Doesn't have to be long, just something brief. Maybe uh, one or two of your of the uh, conversations you had, and then uh, George, if you're willing as well, maybe um, I know you had your own interactions. If you want to give a brief testimony as well, and then uh, Ben, maybe we'll save yours for this evening if that's okay, just for time's sake. And uh, uh, but uh, if uh, Drew, you want to come now and just share a few things, that'd be great. Okay, uh, as Jansen mentioned, we did go down to the Diag and had a, a really nice time. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to, uh, to say what, what is more enjoyable, uh, talking to people about God or just being with, with our brothers and talking. Uh, you know, I've had a chance to, to go out with Jansen and before and also Ben, uh, but then it's my first time out with, with George. And uh, it was nice to see George out there, this bright orange really kind of draw attention. And then I also had the great blessing of having uh, John Postiff with me. And uh, that was good. And uh, so John and I, uh, we talked. Well, we handed out tracks, and I think we figured out, uh, wrote down all the names. We talked to, to nine people that would stop and talk to us. And I'll say that, uh, you know, at the beginning, one thing I kind of want to talk about is, is that in the beginning, you know, John was like, hey, listen, I'll just kind of watch. It's fine. And towards the end, he's like, hey, let me, let me, let me, let me try it out here. Let me, let me hand out some tracks. Not only did he hand out tracks, but he also then got people to come and talk to us. And that was really good. We had good conversations. And uh, I think we, we challenged some, some of the students. Uh, they, did, they did take our stuff. And uh, I think there's some, some opportunities there. And you know, afterwards, the men, we all, all, all of us were talking about maybe ways we could improve upon it. Uh, but I thought that it was good. I think I just really want to, I think the focus I want to say is that it was good to be out with the brothers and then also especially with, with John. Uh, John, you know, it just in my mind, you know, we're, we're all at different points in our pilgrimage. 
and he was able to just add in uh, thoughts to say, and spot on, spot on thoughts and, and ways to maybe uh, tweak conversations. So I was, I was grateful to God for all that. I was glad that uh, Jansen uh, asked. Uh, it was a blast. Uh, he did a good job. He was talking to a guy in a tie-dye shirt, which is, you know, perfect for U of M, Dan, you know, tie-dye shirts. <laughs> the guy was not smoking a spliff, but uh, it was good other than that. A uh, lot of students out there. Uh, you've got people from India, from China, from just a lot of different countries, Middle Eastern countries, uh, Jewish people are there. So there's a lot of people who just flat out have not heard the full gospel before. And the tracts that we're handing out, we're, we're trying to uh, at least present that to them. I notice with uh, younger people, they like to be able to cuddle down with something and read it. You know, that's what they do with their iPhones all day long. So it, it's good to get it in their hands. There was a lot of nice conversations back and forth about hockey, about baseball, about football, <laughs> but about the, the ultimate uh, Jesus Christ and uh, people's need for him. So that, that was really neat to, to go out. And I'm with Drew. I, when I saw that John was there, I was like, yes, <laughs> the next generation. Amen. Thank you guys for the, those testimonies. And uh, I'll probably share a little bit this evening, and, and Ben can as well, about our personal experiences. But um, <clears throat> whenever I'm out there, it always reminds me of uh, the lostness of people. And uh, just even George alluded to this, that just know nothing about God. Um, and I'll share more about this tonight, but there was one young man who... Uh, you know, I handed him a tract, and I told him kind of briefly what the contents of it was, and there was just kind of this bewildered look on his face, like, what are you talking about? Um, and, and I wasn't even saying anything theological or deep theological thoughts. It was just, you know, Jesus, the Bible, you know, those kind of things, and it was just kind of a blank, a blank stare. And so um, people need Christ, and they need the full gospel. They need to hear who Jesus is, and who God is. And so um, be praying for those contacts. Uh, I think Drew has a list of, of names, so if you're interested in those names even, he could give you some of them. You could be praying for them specifically, that God would work in them, and uh, that would be wonderful. This morning, um, I don't have a handout for you, but if you are looking for uh, some brief notes, uh, they are on the website, and um, they're primarily just a list of passages. Uh, we're not going to be looking at all of those today, and so that's one of the reasons that I wanted to get them into your hands is so that at a later time uh, you could read through those passages. But this morning I want to focus on this very fact that Jesus preached the gospel. He preached the good news. And we can find uh, from his example uh, lessons for us in our evangelism. And I, I wanted you to consider this very truth that the Lord Jesus preached repentance and faith to many different people in many different contexts. And, uh, well, the fact is there are many different kinds of people today in different contexts, and we need to reach them. And so I think we can learn from the example of Christ, uh, the supreme example of preaching the gospel, and, uh, and learn some things from, uh, from him this morning, I pray. And um, let me just open in a word of prayer real quick, and then we'll look at a specific passage here and, and 
uh, I'll share kind of the outline of what you'll see in the notes online. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, now as we look into your word, may you give us clarity of mind. May we learn from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as he interacted with unbelievers, those who were lost from um, his own people, the people of Israel, but from Gentiles as well, and uh, even a Samaritan woman. Lord, may we uh, give us great attention in the, in the minutes ahead. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, if you are looking at those passages uh, online, if maybe you have it pulled up on your phone or something like that, um, you'll notice there's three different categories um, that I've listed out. And these passages uh, exemplify Christ's approach to proclaiming the gospel to the lost. And, uh, and that is, was Jesus' purpose in coming, was it not? Uh, just, I was thinking of uh, Luke chapter 19. I'll just read that uh, now. Let me turn there. Luke chapter 19. And uh, this is actually the passage with Zacchaeus, and we've, we've uh, addressed this in the past weeks. Verse 9, I'll just start there since we kind of know the, the earlier verses. It says, And Jesus said to him, that is Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So that uh, is the purpose of Christ coming, to die and to save those who are lost. And so uh, we see Christ proclaiming the gospel throughout the gospels. And the passages that are listed there are all passages from the gospels, and some of them are um, parallel passages. And so you'll see that in the parentheses each time that that, that occasion is mentioned in the gospels. But uh, I categorize these into three groups, uh, these passages. First, Jesus witnessed to individuals. Uh, secondly, Jesus is witness to small groups. And then thirdly, Jesus is witness to large crowds. And uh, you could probably break it down other ways, but the idea here is that we can look at these passages and see how Jesus is interacts, Jesus interacts with people of various sizes, or groups of various sizes, I should say. Audiences that are small in number, so an individual, audiences in a slightly larger context, small groups, and then uh, occasions where he was speaking to the multitudes, to perhaps 50 or hundreds or, or up to 1,000, who knows. Uh, in some cases, we know 5,000, right, with the feeding of the 5,000. So um, that's how I broke those down. And, and I think that can help us think about, okay, in the context that we have, how should we, how should we address the, the person? You know, if it's an individual, we'll see that in Christ's example, he was much more personal with them and speaking to them as an individual, whereas in a larger context, he was focusing on preaching the gospel and speaking to large crowds in a larger kind of context and setting. Um, I'll just note for you some of these examples that I pulled from the gospels. In the the, uh, category of individuals, we see that Jesus preached the gospel to a demon-possessed man, and often we'll see... uh, in uh, parallel to when he's preaching the gospel, he's also performing some kind of miracle. Um, and so he casts out a demon, and then he, you know, he, he also may say something like, your sins are forgiven, or go and proclaim what Christ has done for you. Well, I think you know, in that is a proclamation of who Christ is, the Son of God, the one that has the power to cast out demons. And so 
Um, you'll notice on many of these occasions there's a miracle performed and also some kind of uh, response called for out of that person from Jesus. And so uh, we see the occasion of a demon-possessed man in Matthew 8, 28 to 34, and then the other parallel passages in the rest of the Gospels, at least uh, uh, Mark and Luke there. And, uh, of course, we see the occasion with Nicodemus, John chapter 3. Uh, we see another occasion in, with the uh, woman of Samaria, and we'll look at that actually this morning as kind of a case study. We see uh, Jesus interact with a leper, Matthew 8, 1 to 4, as well as a paralytic in Matthew 9, 1 to 8. We see the, uh, uh, the woman with a blood issue. Uh, Jesus interacts with her. Uh, Matthew 9, uh, verses 18 to 22. And then uh, uh, Jairus, Matthew 9, 23 to 26. A blind man in Matthew 9. Uh, and then uh, a Gentile woman, Matthew 15. There's multiple uh, here. I won't read all of those. But you'll see already there's a, a compounding number of inter- interactions that Jesus has with individuals and, uh, and in which he again, perform some kind of miracle and also cause for uh, some kind of response from them. In small groups, we see, of course, the uh, instance of Zacchaeus, like here in Luke chapter 19, where he's speaking to tax collectors and sinners, probably a crowd of maybe 15, 20 to 30 people, um, uh, just a smaller crowd, maybe even less than that at times, maybe five or ten uh, in Matthew chapter 13, we see him interacting with some Nazarenes. Uh, it seems in this case it's also a, a small kind of group. Um, in fact, uh, I'll just read that right now just for you to get a, a picture of these kind of uh, interactions. Matthew chapter 13, in uh, verse 54, starting there. It says, when he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom in these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brother James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. Uh, But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and his own house. Uh, Now now he did not uh, do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. And so um, we see there that Christ is teaching in the synagogue. Of course, uh, they don't respond rightly in this instance. Um, they, uh, They see him only as he was as a young child. You know, oh, this is the carpenter's son. And uh, they don't recognize who he is as the divine uh, supreme God and, uh, and reject his teaching. But we can assume even in his teaching that he is preaching the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom, calling for them to believe in him. And yet they don't respond correctly to his, to his calling. We also see Jesus speaking to large crowds. I think you have in your mind already different occasions in which Christ did that, feeding of the 5,000, 
And uh, in not all these instances do we see the full content of what he was preaching, but I think we can, uh, we can confidently know that he was preaching a gospel message based on other texts where it is more explicit, um, even thinking of uh, the Sermon on the Mount and the kind of message that he was preaching there. I, I, we can assume as a similar kind of message he was preaching in other occasions and contexts as well calling them to, to repentance and faith uh, and belief in God. Um, we see uh, uh, multiple occasions where there's large crowds, Matthew chapter 4, Matthew 11, Matthew 13, the parable of the soils, where it's more of a parable fashion. But uh, in that parable, we see Christ laying out what foundation, that uh, a proper response is uh, to accept the seed on you know fertile ground and to and to believe uh, in him, and so I think that's one example as well. Others are Matthew 15, Matthew 16. Again, these these are on the notes there. I'm just calling a few of them out. But this morning, I want to spend uh, some of our time thinking about one individual example of Christ interacting with someone that, uh, in our context and culture today, we would consider maybe someone that's. Um, you know, dresses differently, has maybe, um, you know, think of someone perhaps that is in a, a cult of sorts, someone that, uh, you know, or, you know, uh, think of uh, a Mormon or someone like that, someone that maybe people look at and see, oh, they're a little strange, uh, you know, their beliefs, you know, maybe the way that their community works and things like that. Um, and so I think we can draw from the example we're going to look at this morning lessons for us as we interact with different kinds of people, people that we may find it uh, harder to interact with because of their beliefs or because of their background, but yet, nonetheless, we must reach them with the gospel. And this morning, I want to use the example of this, the Samaritan woman at the well. And a passage I think we all know well, but uh, maybe this morning my, we can focus on this very fact of how does Jesus engage with her on a personal manner? And that will teach us some lessons as we interact with others, hopefully on a personal level as well. And so if you want to turn with me, uh, and uh, we'll go to John chapter uh, <clears throat> John chapter four here, just John chapter 4, we'll begin there. And uh, let me begin just by reading the passage, and then we'll, we'll walk through it a little bit in our time this morning. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, it says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into 
the city to buy food. When the woman of Samaria said, then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked, asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well, and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Had she only knew who he was talking to, I don't think she would have asked the question, at least in that way, uh, knowing the answer. But she doesn't uh, understand this at this point. Verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him with, give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband, and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, and that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Of course, the passage continues on, and uh, we learn from the rest of this that uh, the woman has a proper response and even then calls the rest to come and listen to what Jesus has to say. But uh, I want to focus our attention this morning on uh, the passage that we just read and draw out, I think, some good application, I pray, for us as we interact with unbelievers and, uh, of course, I want to set a little bit of the context of this, and I think that will help us as well. We see that um, the reason that Jesus had to travel through Samaria is because of a divine appointment. Of course, the disciples didn't see it quite that way. <laughs> they see Christ as making some kind of uh, very uh, ill-informed or just a uh, mistake of sorts to travel through Samaria, and we'll, we'll realize why in just a moment. But Christ has a greater purpose in mind. He has a purpose in mind, and that is to speak with this Samaritan woman. 
His disciples, of course, were not seemingly pleased by Jesus' choice of route, but Jesus was doing the Father's work, which included offering salvation not only to the Jews, but to Samaritans and to Gentiles. And so he said in verse 4 that he needed to go through Samaria. I find it interesting that Jesus seemingly even knew the time of day that the woman was going to be at the well, and so they began their travels, we can assume, at a certain point in which Jesus knew when they reached their destination, that woman would be there. We see that the woman was at the well at the sixth hour of the day, which would not have been a common time for women to be at the well drawing water. They would not have come at the heat of the day to do a, such a difficult task of drawing water and then carrying it all the way back into the city. More commonly, they would have drew the water at a cooler part of the day, in the evening, or perhaps early morning. However, we see that this woman was there, and, and she came at that time of the day because of her status in her community. Jesus knew that this Samaritan woman would be there at the heat of the day, and so he arrived at the perfect time to engage with her. Now, there are two main reasons why um, the woman was shocked when Jesus began to interact with her. We see this kind of uh, surprise in her words in verse 9, where she says, How is it that you... Being a Jew, we see that qualifier there, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman. First, uh, it would have been surprising for her because men, uh, it was customary that they did not speak to women in the public setting. Furthermore, the Jews customarily would not speak to a Samaritan the Jews would purposely skirt around Samaria, taking even a more difficult or lengthier route to avoid that, that, uh, that region out of a desire to avoid any conversation and interaction with a Samaritan. They were hostile towards them. They thought of them as lowly uh, spiritual outcasts, not believing, not worshiping in the proper location. And so there was great animosity between the Jews, and the Samaritans. So what man, then, in his right mind, what Jewish man in his right mind would speak to a woman, much less a Samaritan woman, and ask her for a drink? And we see this kind of shock in the Samaritan woman's response. Furthermore, um, the fact that he's asked for a drink from her vessel would have been surprising as well. Drinking from any vessel of an unclean person, and the Jews considered the Samaritans unclean, would have been a breaking of the ceremonial laws of the Jewish community, would have violated Jewish practice. And so the woman asks him this question, uh, why would you ask for a drink from me? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. 
This was not a normal treatment for a Samaritan woman of her status. Yet we see Jesus breaking down all these barriers, these societal barriers, these man-made barriers, in order to meet her spiritual need. And I, I want to emphasize just emphasize that just for a moment, that these were man-made barriers that were constructed. <laughs> yes, George. Yes. Yeah. George is bringing out a wonderful point that this this term Samaritan used to denote these people uh, was not your your uh, uh, perfect kind of title <laughs> of respect or honor. It was uh, a very degrading term, and even the Pharisees called Jesus that in a, in a derogatory kind of way. Uh, Thurman, you have a Thurman is pointing out that the fact that uh, the reason for this is in part because of uh, the intermarriage between Jews and, and non-Jews, and which then became the Samaritan people, as they're known. And so there's some, uh, there's some ethnic kind of animosity. But also, as I alluded to earlier, there was spiritual animosity because they saw them, impro- they, they, them doing improper worship, improper practice of their worship, not coming down to Jerusalem uh, to worship uh, where they should have been worshiping and having their own kind of spiritual kind of uh, uh, community in the, in the region of Samaria. So we see Jesus, though, breaking down some of these barriers in order to reach her with the good news of salvation. I hope and I pray as believers we have not allowed any kind of man-made barriers to keep us from engaging in conversation. One's contrived in our own mind. One's set upon us by society around us, which are trying to tell us what is the right thing to do and wrong thing to do, who to interact with, who not to interact with, who they think you should be able to interact with and who they say you shouldn't push your beliefs on. And so we need to make sure that regardless of what society says and regardless of what our flesh says, we must break down those barriers in order to reach the lost. We see then Jesus immediately goes into his purpose for coming to her. He doesn't mince words. He doesn't wait. He gets right to the point. He gets to the point of her need. Verse 10, it says, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus, we see, immediately gets to the point of what she needs. She needs not a, just 
drink of cool water to refresh her parched throat. She needs living water. Uh, I think one lesson we can leave and learn from this right here as we stop for a moment is, um, you know, we talked about this a few weeks ago about making sure we're not tailoring a gospel that is just seeking to meet their felt needs. You know, oh, you know, if you get saved, you know, we said the illustration was all your marriage problems will go away. Um, you know, fill in the blank. Because that's their felt need. That's the issue that they kind of have. And Jesus is beginning to break down or begin to show her, reveal to her that he's not here just to give her some kind of water so that she no longer has to go to the well and draw, which is what she thought he was offering. No, he's offering her something that is really her true need, living water, salvation. So we must be careful in our evangelism to make sure that we are meeting the real need, not promising or seeking to answer merely some felt need of theirs, but their true need of forgiveness of sins and salvation. Had she known who Jesus was, she would have asked for that gift from him, and he would have been and he would have given it to her. And he will, we'll see, offer it to her and elaborate upon what he's told her already. We see though the confusion that she has over the statement, what he's offering in verse ten. We can see that uh, she hasn't understood it exactly what he's offering. So in verse 11, she says to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. She sees only the, uh, the materialistic side, or sees it from a materialistic side, I should say, that he is simply offering some kind of, of water from this well, which is a living water. And so she wonders how exactly he can draw it with no, no bucket, nothing to draw from, no, no vessel, and it's a very deep well. So she asks this question of him, where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? To us, that seems kind of like almost a silly question. Like, how do you not get it? <laughs> and I, was, I would say this, it could be easy for us in our evangelism to have a similar kind of response. We are engrossed with Scripture. We understand, you know, we may point them to an Old Testament passage, a prophecy of Christ, and then we take them to the New Testament, and we seek to show them their need for Christ, and we, we try to plainly show them who Christ is, and yet they don't get it. And I encourage us to not quickly get frustrated by that. You know, how do you not understand? We see here the kind of compassion that Jesus has. He doesn't berate her for not understanding. He doesn't even really answer the question, are you greater than our fathers? He, he will answer that in a kind of an indirect or a direct manner later. But he doesn't just stop there and say, what kind of question is that? You know, do you know who I am? No, he, he shows compassion, kindness, and he... Uh, he cares for her. George, did you have another comment? 
Yes, go ahead. It's encouraging. try to uh, give a summary of that for those who are online. George is just mentioning that Jesus doesn't necessarily ignore the material need that she has of drinking water, uh, but he points to a more important matter that she can drink from that water. That's fine. (laughs) You need that, but there's a much greater need that she has uh, that he he can fulfill. And so even in reaching out to college students or others that you're speaking with, uh, it's not as if you can't address that felt need at all, but it's only addressed in as much as you address the, real, the person's real need of Christ, and then Christ obviously can help them through those situations. But again, we know that it doesn't mean all situations are going to you know, go away and things are going to be perfect for them. In fact, we know that discipleship and, and salvation is a costly thing. And so we can't ignore that or sweep that under the rug and pretend in our evangelism that, you know, there's no cost to this at all. There is. So Jesus continues here uh, after she asks this question about him, you know, are you greater than our father Jacob and his sons and his livestock? Verse 13, Jesus answered her not answering the question she asked, but uh, actually saying something else here. He says to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, to uh, what George was just saying. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water I, that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman here um, represents all unbelievers who are spiritually blinded. And so as we engage with others, you know, I think we can use her example of this is a woman spiritually blinded, unable to discern the things of God without God's work in her life. And so the kinds of questions she's asking may not be the right kind of questions all the time. And even our, in our evangelism, we, experience, we may experience that, I have experienced that, where people will ask questions, and, and we need to answer those, but sometimes they're not asking the right kind of questions. And so we, we as those, those who are born again, regenerated, need to direct them by helping them to know what the right kind of questions are. Address the issue that they have, or the question that they have, but direct them back to what is a you know, kind of a proper kind of question. Direct the conversation. Don't let them direct 
you know, the, the conversation. You, you need to direct them into, into truth. And I, I think we can see that's what Jesus is doing here. He doesn't answer her question immediately. Rather, he, he continues on with, with what she really needs to hear. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. She still obviously isn't understanding the truth at this point, not understanding what Jesus is is speaking, uh, the meaning of what he is saying. And so she continues on in this kind of materialistic mindset, and yet Jesus continues to be compassionate with her. She has not understood that Jesus' offer is not an earthly matter to quench a, a physical need, but he is seeking to quench a spiritual thirst that all people have. A spiritual thirst that is only quenched through a saving work of Christ. It is a, if we can put it this way, felt need of the heart rather than the tongue of thirst, a thirsting tongue. We don't have much time left this morning, but one last thing I want to focus on, and maybe we'll come, we'll come back to this next time, but Jesus begins then to address some personal matters of her life. He begins to reveal to her the depth of her sin and need for Christ. Of course, she already understood she was an outcast. <laughs> she wasn't unaware of that fact, but at the same time, I don't think she quite understood the depth of her sin. And yet Jesus is going to show her that, not just to berate her, but to help her understand her great need for Christ. And I think in our evangelism, I know in our evangelism, that we need to do a, have a similar kind of approach. Without berating a person, we need to get them to understand that the evil in this world is not just external to them. It is internal they have a spiritual depravity, a great, uh, great spiritual need because of their great sinfulness. And so, you know, we need to help them understand the sin in their life and make it personal. Again, without, you know, trying to just accuse them and make it an accusatory time of calling out every sin that they have, but yet helping them understand that what they may not see as sin is sin according to God's standard, and so showing them their great need for Christ because of their great sin in their life. I mentioned this last time. uh, Ray Comfort uses this kind of approach to help them understand their spiritual depravity by just simply going through the Ten Commandments and listing them off, you know, have you ever done this? Have you ever stolen? Have you ever coveted? Have you ever lusted in your heart? You know, and then he comes back and says, well, then, you know, by your own admission, you know, you're a thief, you're an adulterer, you're a murderer at heart. <laughs> Let that sink in. And so Jesus has kind of a similar approach here as he, he gets into her personal life and shows her uh, her great spiritual need. Jesus, of course, then goes on uh, and begins to reveal to her who he is 
and also showing her what a proper response to what he is offering is. He is seeking those who will worship in spirit and truth. And he is calling all to do that. Verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. I don't know about you, but I see that as a direct call to respond. <laughs> you must, every, anyone that is going to worship him must worship in spirit and truth. That is the call. That is the response that she is to have. And Jesus is calling her to respond in that way. Finally, um, I just want to note in verse 26, I think Jesus comes back to kind of answering her question earlier of, you know, who are you? That uh, she asks, and uh, or asking it this way, you know, are you greater than our father Jacob? In, in a sense, asking, you know, who do you who do you say you are? Who do you think you are? Jesus says then in verse twenty six, I who speak to you am He, the Messiah, the one that is greater than your father Jacob. We need to make sure that uh, in our evangelism we clearly. Proclaim who Christ is. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the one that we are called to worship in spirit and truth. He is the one that can offer living water, who can parch the need of the heart, the great spiritual need of the heart. He is the one that can save even the greatest outcast, the greatest of sinners. He is the one that breaks down barriers to reach all with Christ. And by that example, I think uh, we can challenge our own hearts when we have perhaps avoided situations out of discomfort of who we may have to engage in conversation with. Um, and I'll personally say, even yesterday, it was hard at times. You know, your flesh certain kind of person walks by and you know already kind of the response that they may have and yet you have to overcome that say I was of a sort at one time in my own sin and uh, they have a different kind of sin and we all need Christ let's pray as we close this morning Heavenly Father um, there's much more here Lord and uh, we kind of took it from a different approach of looking at it from uh, how can we learn from the lessons, lessons from Christ's evangelism and reaching this person, yet uh, there's other things we could have focused on here this morning, and we uh, sure, I assume we'll do in, in time ahead. But, Lord, may, may you uh, cause us to think deeply about these matters this morning that we've looked at and to learn from the example of Christ as he preached the gospel. Lord, may you help us to overcome uh, barriers that we have built up in our own hearts uh, from our flesh or out of the flesh, I should say, Lord, and Lord, barriers that our society has put on, put up, Lord, may, may we not allow that to keep us from reaching those who need Christ desperately and uh, need the living water that you have to give. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.